We know that inclusion and equity in the workplace is ethically the right thing to do. But did you know that it also yields better business outcomes? Today, I'm speaking with Nina Baliga, the VP of Client Experience and Equitable Strategies at Interview IA. This conversation is really special. It's real, and it addresses the complicated but important systemic inequities that exist today and how crucial it is that we utilize technology to bridge those gaps and essentially make the world a better place, starting at work. I'm your host, Leah Siener, and this is Digital Adoption. Thank you so much for joining. It's really nice to meet you. Yes, nice meeting you too. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So I would love to start with you telling me about Interview IA. Um, you seem like the kind of person that doesn't get into something unless it really speaks to you and, and you're passionate about it. So I would love to hear why you know, you're part of this company, what this product is doing, and how you got there and what you're doing there. Absolutely. Um, so I mean, to start off, um, so my title is the VP of Client Experience and Equitable Strategies um, at Interview IA. And basically what we're doing is we've built a digital platform that manages all aspects of the job interview workflow. And um, this uh, management actually comes at the intersection of both equitable and efficient hiring. And that's really why I came to Interview IA is because my entire story is really all about how do we build inclusive places to work where everyone can feel seen, valued, and heard. And um, when I joined Interview IA, I really saw a huge opportunity for us to build an inclusive future of work um, in a place where objective uh, and inclusive hiring can create a workforce that is truly diverse, that is really engaged, and is also high performing because everyone feels like they're part of something bigger than them. Um, so like where, how I got to this journey, how I got to interview IA is kind of a really roundabout route. Uh, when I graduated college, um, I, you know, went immediately into nonprofit work. I actually was doing a lot of social justice work. I worked for a labor union. I worked for national organizations that were doing community development work, largely in um, uh, immigrant communities and communities of color. And uh, after about 10 years in the nonprofit sector, uh, I got burnt out and I pivoted into tech. Uh, so I taught myself front-end web development and user experience design because I was always, you know, even through all the nonprofit work I was doing, I've always been a techie. You know, I grew up, you know, with an Apple IIc in my house when I, like, my dad spent the money to, like, have a computer in a house at every single point in my, uh, in my childhood growing up. And so um, I always saw the power of technology to connect people and to mm -hmm. help people build bonds and really kind of change how we communicate with one another. So I saw the power of that when I was in my, my 20s and uh, started applying that stuff to the nonprofit work I was doing. Um, but then I really wanted to start to understand deeply about how these systems were built um, and, and designed. And so that's why I taught myself front-end web development and UX design. And um, I was doing that for, for many years, kind of uh, for various agencies, but then also built my own freelance career. And um, about five years ago, 
um, you know, I moved to Colorado. So I actually grew up on the East Coast. I had spent all my time in pretty diverse places of the country um, where there was just a lot of different communities of color, different immigrant communities. Um, and when I moved to Colorado, there's just not really the same type of diversity here as in other places. And so as I was going to all the tech meetups here, um, I would notice that I was usually the only woman of color in the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would bring up these kind of different ways to approach how are we building technology? Um, how are we addressing, like how we're using data and, and you know, talking about some of the problematic elements of it because it was usually just white men on stage building stuff for white men. And I was like, you're missing out, you know, 75% of this country aren't white men, you know, <laughs> like yeah. uh, if you start thinking about these other things, you start uh, or these other communities, you actually start ide identifying opportunities for growth. But I would always be met with um, kind of silence and then, you know, be ignored. So I was getting really frustrated and um, I went on a mission to go find at least other women of color in, um, excuse me, in, uh, in, in Colorado who worked in tech. And uh, I ended up going to this hackathon because hackathons are a really great way to like meet other folks who are really passionate about digital technology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I went to this hackathon, was sponsored by the Secretary of State here in Colorado called Go Code. And uh, I joined this team of women and over the course of a weekend, we built an app that would help hiring managers find tech talent from underrepresented communities in Colorado's colleges and universities. Wow. And we built it, we launched it, and then we pitched it as this idea for a new business. Um, and we became one of the 10 teams that were in the finals with a chance to win $15,000 to create a startup. Um, so while I personally never had a idea that I would be a startup founder, um, it just kind of got thrust into my lap. And so, I was uh, on the stage of the Denver Performing Arts Center pitching this idea for a business that would really change how we thought about diversity in tech. And um, we didn't win the competition, but uh, me and one other woman on the team, uh, we decided to take a chance and we launched the startup in 2017. Um, wow. So yeah, like in the process of, uh, the name of the startup was called Diversity. And uh, in the process of building that startup, I learned so much about how different companies are approaching uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about how are we defining diversity? Um, you know, we wanted to go beyond race and gender and really think about communities with disabilities, visible or invisible, talking about the LGBTQ community, talking about body diversity and age diversity, and all the different ways that people can be marginalized. Mm -hmm. We wanted to talk about all of that and create you know, uh, understanding to help companies understand that diversity is so much bigger than just, uh, you know, a one-off program agenda or one-off training that there's so much more to it than that. Yes. Um, the one of my board members actually, um, he uh, was the founder of Interview IA. And so when he launched Interview IA, he was telling me about kind of how the platform can really create efficient processes, like I started seeing how this platform could also have a massive social impact. By creating an equitable interviewing process, you are now opening the door to building a more diverse pipeline because you're creating opportunities. You're measuring everyone in the exact same way and you're taking out bias and mitigating bias in the process. So your, people aren't relying on that handshake. I mean, we've heard okay. so many people say like, I'm going to hire you based on a handshake. Yeah. Huh? And no, so that's really fascinating. I mean, I'd love to understand 
you know, what that actually, what that means, because it's so funny. I remember reading an article, must've been a couple of years ago now, but it was about how um, technology that was supposed to be making the hiring process less biased was actually doing the opposite and that it was kind of filtering um, based on the kind of predisposed um, desires or traits that the company put in without even meaning to. And it showed like these really interesting ways that like certain last names that were typically viewed as like black last names Mm -hmm. would end up being getting like a lower rating and being filtered lower down. And no one had like programmed it to do that, but that it was just, it was like a learning program. And so since those names were often rejected, the computer was only like the technology was just making the problem worse. And I thought about that. And I remember reading that and thinking like, okay, if we can use technology to make this worse, we can for sure use technology to make it better. So it's very, um, uh, it's very encouraging and motivating to hear that that's what you're doing. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true. Like, I don't know if you've seen the documentary uh, coded bias, But it really does like part of the reason why it's really important to get diversity in technology and the tech industry in particular is because the people building it, any technology, build their own biases into it. So that's part of the reason why you want a diverse workforce, right? It's not just diversity for the sake of it or diversity because it's the right thing to do. You build products that are going to be better when you have all these different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the technologies that came out like 10 years ago, where, you know, one of the things that I've seen technologists do is they try to like, uh, you know, make it, hide the names. Like, I think that was one of the reactions to the problem that you're describing is that they're like, mm. okay, we'll hide the names, we'll hide, we'll hide faces. And while I think that kind of solves a problem, what it really does is that it just kind of moves the bias down the road because eventually you're going to see their names. Like eventually you're going to see their faces. So part of what, you know, we do as our platform is to really start helping people understand their biases. It's actually changing um, the interviewer's behaviors to help them understand where are their biases coming in, in addition to creating systemic processes that change what kind of data you're collecting. Because that, you know, going back to your original point is that if you're measuring by magic numbers, like they have to have six years experience. And they need to, you know, go to uh, a top 20s college program. That's inherently going to be biased because you're not addressing the systemic inequities. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is address that there are transferable skills. Um, You could be a bartender who has incredibly good human communication experiences and you could transfer those skills to being a customer success manager. Yeah. Um, because you have the ability to listen, listen, you have the ability to troubleshoot. Um, you can learn the technology, you know, on how to use that system. But that's what our platform is trying to do is that when you address that skills can be transferable, that you're looking for things like abilities, alignment in the context of the company culture and growth, that's when you'll start bringing in more candidates from underrepresented backgrounds. And that's how you start opening the doors for people to come in and be successful within your company. Uh, that's that's great. It's, it also touches on something that we've been exploring a lot um, at WalkMe at our company, which is that 
so often those same factors that prevent someone from, let's say, having had, you know, an Ivy League education are also the same things that are going to put them at a lower, you know, at a disadvantage with their technical abilities, with their digital abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we take it for granted that, you know, people come into a company and that they've always had a computer and that they have, you know, high level technology uh, to the point that they can, you know, pretty easily adopt whatever software mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, apps they're expected to use and whatever, you know, hardware they're expected to use. And that there's also a pretty big discrepancy there. There's a lot of people that don't know just how to use technology because they've been privileged enough to have technology around them their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that we've really been addressing and really been thinking about a lot is that the more advanced technology gets, there's the potential for that gap to be, you know, even further widened where Mm -hmm. the people that are already, you know, predisposed have had access to technology and to software are going to be ahead of the game. And it's another, it's another reason to stop and reassess what we can do before we get caught up and before, wow, we've just made an already really unfortunate bad gap a lot worse. Right. Um, Right. Yeah, the digital divide is a very real thing where access to technology and software is is disproportionate in this country. But I think one of the things that is interesting about that, too, is that because different groups are accessing technology in really different ways. So um, I actually, in a previous life 10 years ago, I served on the IT commission for the city of Alexandria. And uh, one of the things that we were trying to address was the digital divide um, because uh, not everyone had access to, you know, Wi-Fi in their homes. So some kids, in order to kind of complete their school assignments, would literally drive to the library after it was closed to get access to the Wi-Fi in order to complete their assignments. Wow. Um, stuff like that's still happening today. But with this new generation coming up, uh, the, the the native mobile usage is so inherent yeah. to to this upcoming generation that I think that what we consider is the software and hardware needs of B2B or B2C work right now is, is going to start looking really different anyway, because this native uh, group um, of digital adoption adoptees are going to be like taking over. So in a lot of ways, like us old, old crew are going to have to rethink (laughs) and retrain ourselves too on what technology looks like moving forward. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's actually, it's a problem that we've addressed um, in, in some of, with some of our customers is that the older staff are feeling discriminated against, or like Mm -hmm. they are very quickly becoming, you know, dinosaurs because they can't, they can't accommodate and adopt all of the software as quickly as the younger people there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, it, it is something that we, we kind of, you know, get to say like, well, that's why we can help you because, you know, part of solving that problem is, is re- recognizing that human beings can't keep up with all of the technology that we've created and that there's, there's no amount of training that can keep everyone up to date. It's like, we have really, we've really gone too far. <laughs> like there's really, the only way we can get ourselves out of this is 
using technology to get ourselves out of it. Right. You know what I'm saying? We can't like slow down now. Okay, everyone, let's just stop making apps upon apps upon apps. Like that's <laughs> right. not the way we work. We're going to keep going. So yeah. instead of, you know, so we better come up with a solution because everyone doesn't have the same abilities, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I love the mission here. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, I think part of what we need to do in this change of how we go and and talk about hiring in the future is that it's not about the technology stack that you know, right? Um, We actually break it down into three categories. Like when you're doing interviews, your questions have to be assigned to one of these three intents. It's abilities. So what are the skills needed? Alignment. What is the context in which you can thrive, the context of which you can thrive within this team or within this company, and then growth, what are the opportunities for you to grow within the company? How does the company look at growth to see if those two connect, if the individual and the company connect in that growth kind of uh, outlook? And I think those are the keys to the future of work, because if you keep on saying, you know, for I'll just like, because I'm a tech geek, I'll just start naming tech languages. But if you keep on saying, like, I'm a Java engineer, and I know Python, um, well, it's not necessarily about knowing Java and Python anymore. Right. You know, that, that technology could change in three years. You might be using right. a totally different tech stack. So it's really about like, what is your ability to kind of problem solve? What is your ability to communicate with the other developers on the team? What is your ability to kind of quick, like how quickly do we need people to pick it up? Do we need them to pick it up in two weeks or six months? What kind of learning mentality does our company have that aligns with the learning mentality of this candidate? Mm. Um, And when we start shifting from that, then the technology is going to matter a lot lot less, right? Like what software and what user interfaces that people are familiar with or not are going to matter less. It's really about how are people changing? How how can someone thrive within this team, within this company and grow? So that way you have people who are high performing and really happy. Wow. That sounds amazing. (laughs) That's great. It's It's a dream. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to hear from your experience now, um, both as the podcast hosts and, you know, from the company you're a part of right now, what do you think is kind of the state of the average corporation right now in terms of inclusivity and diversity and, you know, what, what, what would you say that the weak areas are that are pretty universal? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say what's universal, right? Cause we've talked right. to We've had over a hundred episodes now and we've talked to so many different people and we've talked to like small startups to fortune 500 companies. We've gone across industries, you know, from the food and services industry to tech to, uh, you know, we've had Olympians on there. Like we've had literally all types of people on the podcast talking about all these different systems of what they work in and what they work or even if who they work for. Um, And, um, you know, I think the journey, what I, what I like to emphasize is that it's a journey, right? There's no, there's no end goal to diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's always going to be something that you continue to improve on and continue to move forward on. And um, it's going to change, you know, how we talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, even two years ago, is so different than what happened over the last year. And I think that's largely due to George Floyd's murder. Um, You know, when I was using the word anti-racism, it's not good enough to say you're not racist. You have to be an anti-racist. That was considered crazy person language. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand you back in 2019. 
But you say that in 2021 and people are like, yeah, I get it. You're right. (laughs) And so when individuals started saying that, then you started hearing companies starting to say that. And, you know, it's, it's really about what, where's the societal needle and then where are companies in that? And, you know, in all honesty, most companies are behind on what the societal needle is at. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of good intentions to, to get to that place. And there's so many different types of initiatives you can take. And I think it all starts though. This is the common theme because I've worked with so many companies at this point. Um, and I started from the tech angle. So I was thinking, you know, just the CTO and the engineers. But what I learned is that it really starts with the CEO. It mm-hmm. starts with the entire C-suite buying into this idea that we need to figure out how to build DEI into the blood of everything that we do. It's not just an HR thing. It's not just a tech thing. It is in our operations, it's in our finances, it's in our legal, it's in our marketing, it's in our product, it's in everything we do. And when you start changing that lens of thinking through it beyond it just being an HR thing, that's when you start having a really big impact. Um, Because, you know, all of your employees are looking at this, right? No matter what department they're in, they're, they're keeping an eye on what the company is doing. And that's why it's really important for the the C-suite and the CEOs to kind of not only show their commitment, but to show kind of what an action plan looks like yeah. to, to address it. Yeah. So what would you say? I mean, I know our, our listeners should just tune into your podcast probably, <laughs> but what would you say? Let's say we have some, you know, top management people listening right now that are like, yes, this sounds great. What would you say would be some like top tips or like basics for kind of getting on the right path and really assessing this, whether it's for an organization or just a team? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is to do a survey and and find out what's the current state of things, right? So like, you know, look at your current diversity stats, um, but then also start getting an assessment of company culture. Like, is there a sense that people can feel like they can say anything at any point? Do people feel like they're heard? Do people feel like they're valued? Um, do a cultural assessment in addition to kind of a demographic assessment. Um, and then start seeing where are those pain points and problems? Because I think, you know, depending on that survey, you'll identify different opportunities. Like in some companies, it might be like, Everyone, like it could be a very homogenous company right now. And they're just like, we really need training on like to learn how to do this stuff. There could be others that are like, you know, we need to figure out how to build systems of equity in our company. And I I think we need to figure that out. Um, I think like, you know, one of the ways like, you know, personal plug, interview IA is a great way to get started (laughs) Um, because our, our platform includes the educational component but it also is like building an inherent system of equity. And so by using the platform, it's, it's forcing you into our methodology, really. And our methodology is what actually leads to a more inclusive workforce and more diverse workforce. Um, and then you just don't, you don't have to do as much heavy lifting on that side because the platform does it for you. But yeah, I mean, why? looking into things like interview IA or other technology that provides systems of equity can also like have a huge impact. I think that's a great concept and I haven't heard that before systems of equity. And I think like, that's really, it's, that's hitting something pretty poignant right now, because I think that most people think that they're really fair and that they're, like you said, not racist 
and that they think everyone's great and they want a diverse team and they value everyone. And look, my assistant's a woman and look, my best friend is black and whatever it is, like everyone, like, I think that it's pretty hard to assess yourself. And then probably I would imagine your organization, um, objectively. So I think that it's, it's kind of like a very healthy next step to go from like, Hey, make sure you get lots of, you know, trainings and you have guest speakers come in and make sure you have like, every time you look around, you should be able to see people of different genders and colors. Like that's not really good enough, especially like the larger the organization gets, like there should be some, some data and some technology behind Mm -hmm. making sure that, that what you think is going on is really going on. Um, Exactly. And then to be able to measure it, right? Like if you start collecting the data and then create the systems of equity, then measuring it, then you can continue to adjust and and learn where those opportunities to see this is working, this is not working. Um, Because again, this is a journey. Diversity, equity, inclusion is a journey. You're never going to get to an end point where you're like, okay, we fixed it. (laughs) You get it. We're diverse now. (laughs) Yeah. Like that, that's just not what happens, but you can continue to learn Um, where you start seeing that diversity naturally happening. You start seeing people from all these different communities working at your company. You see your products getting better. You see your company performing better. Um, And, you know, that will be, you'll be able to have the data to prove that out on like what's working and why. And that's so key to making smart business decisions. Yeah. And in terms of the business, you know, why this is a better move on a business level. And like you were saying, it's not just because it's the right thing to do, or it's the right, you know, the right thing to do ethically, or it's what everyone's doing. No, this is also about business. And that I I love the point that you made, like, if everyone in your company is the same, then you're going to just be thinking about other people like you. Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about that digital experience that, you know, that customer experience, it's going to be pretty limited. The more diverse your team is, the more you're actually going to be speaking to, an, you know, an accurate representation of your possible, of your pos- possible consumer base. Yeah. And like Harvard Business Review and McKinsey, they've all been coming out with reports for years now saying that more diverse teams outperform teams that are more homogenous. Wow. Um, like the, the dollars and cents already show that in the studies. So there's not even like a, you know, there's the business case, but there's the, there's just so many different reasons why it matters. Like it's, it's not just because it's the right thing to do. It's not just because it's the business case, but there's like, there's like a individual happiness that comes out of people who feel like they're seen, valued and heard. Um, And that's such a powerful game changer when it comes to building and scaling companies. Why do you think, I mean, this is like more of a philosophical question, but why do you think it's so difficult for this to become normal? Why, what's the resistance? I mean, why, why, especially, you know, as people in technology and people that are, you know, all about digital transformation, if the data is clear, like, why aren't we all just, you know, stepping in line and like getting this rolling? Why is there so much pushback? I think change is hard. Change is really hard. And I think one of the first things that people need to do is kind of admit like, you know, there's a lot of in, in business, uh, we reward the person who acts like they know what they're doing and is super confident. And, you know, like, I think there was a study saying like, you know, Fortune 500 companies, like 
the average CEO is like a six foot white dude. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that, that number's not totally right, but it's like, <laughs> it skews way outside of what the population average is. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the names was like, there's so many Johns and Tims <laughs> and, and that. Um, and so challenging the current status is really hard when it requires a cultural shift to say, you know what? There is something inherently wrong with the fact that we are leaning to have people who look a certain way and have certain names in leadership positions. And that's not a comfortable thing for people to admit because part of it is that people take it really personally. Yeah, exactly. And I think we have to take a step back and say, you know what? It's It's not just about you. It is about these systems that have been set up to really push people down over centuries And what we need to do is really address how, start by understanding what are these systemic inequities? Where do they come from? And then when you start to really understand that and shift your mindset from it's just a personal thing to we can build better systems, then you're able to kind of start that change management that needs to happen. But it's a topic that is very heated. Uh, We've seen how heated it is, racism and sexism and um, just hate crimes. We're seeing that all just, you know, explode um, in, in, the, in the media coverage in recent years. And um, I think it makes people scared to, to say anything. Um, it's, and I'll say that it's okay to talk about your privilege. It's also okay to be vulnerable and say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm a woman of color, but I also have privilege. I talk about both. Um, and cause I, you know, I come, I have a college education, you know, like I, I own a home, like I have certain things that are definitely about privilege and I have that. Um, but I also show a, a, a lot of vulnerability by recognizing there's lots of things I don't know. Like I do not know, you know, the, the deep experiences of people who might have, um, you know, mobility impairments, like what, and, and so if I do meet someone, if I'm working with someone, like, I'm going to ask them a lot of questions and, like, hope they give me graciousness and ask for graciousness, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's another key component to this is that if you are in a position of power and you're scared, be vulnerable and ask for graciousness. And you'll get a lot farther in all of your conversations when you start your conversations that way. Wow. Very interesting food for thought. Very interesting, really. And kind of one last thing before we run out of time, what do you see for the potential future if we can harness technology in the right ways? What do you see, you know, the workforce being able to look like and the workplace being able to look like? I mean, I know you said there's no end. It's, it's a continuous journey. But what do you think a healthy, um, a healthy workplace looks like in theory I think one of the big transformations that's happened in the last year because of COVID is this openness to remote work. Mm -hmm. And when I've talked to lots of companies about diversity and hiring people from underrepresented groups, especially in Colorado, there's always been this pushback. It's like, well, there's not a lot of people that live in Colorado from these different communities. And uh, as we move to this world of remote work, especially at digital companies where it's very much possible to create an entirely remote workforce, Um, you have an opportunity, you have recruiting pools from all of these different parts of the country. Like part of the reason, you know, it's like 
companies in Colorado say it's hard is because there's not a lot of communities of color here. But you don't have that excuse anymore when you can be recruiting from Atlanta or Washington, D.C. or Texas or, you know, lots of other places. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's going to be the key thing is recognizing that when you start building a truly remote force, um, you're going to start building more diversity because you're going to be able to access pools of talent from all different groups. And then with that comes really different types of thinking that will help your teams be more productive. And I think that's uh, it's an exciting time. And now that we're in that kind of transition from the trauma of a COVID world, I know a lot of companies are thinking about going back to the office, but uh, I would really encourage companies to think about staying remote and like building and, and building a remote first plan um, for the company to really help think through what does their hiring look like and what does their diversity look like? Cause this is, it's a game changer. Like this is like the biggest a, a leap and a hurdle, like above and beyond where we were in 2019 that you can just grab as an opportunity right now. Wow. I love that. I had not thought of that. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how the advantages of having a remote team and being able to hire from anywhere. And it's no longer a limitation that someone can't make it to the office. But I had, I had not thought about how much of a game changer it is um, specifically for diversity and equity. So Mm -hmm. that makes so much sense. Um, All right. I know we're running out of time, but thank you so much. It's been so nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Have this conversation. So thank you and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. 